0: Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm Dave. I'm alcoholic. Uh, As always, a little administrative stuff. The 50-50 is going to take place after the next break. So if you need a 50-50 ticket, buy it on the next break because as soon as we start the next session, we're going to do that (laughs) raffle. And uh, you guys know Barefoot Bill? Where is he? He's over here. Barefoot Bill is another big book thumper, and he's an A historian. And he put he's offered to donate a series of his tapes to throw it in there. So we're going to have three tape series raffled, and then we'll do the big cash. I think it's like uh, I think we're running around two hundred and forty, two hundred fifty bucks. So you're going to get one hundred and twenty-five bucks if you for your half if you hit it. So and the other half is going to a good cause to the sprinkler system here at the Wilson House to preserve this. Tickets are my wife Brenda right there standing there with a. The, my lovely wife, Brenda, my best friend. what? Spokeswife, Spokeswife yes. And I would like to give her, I hate, give her another round of applause. She's been doing the cookies and the candy and you know And even though they're not here, I think we should give uh, for those of us that are married and have kids, you know, and for example, my mother is watching my kids. You know, I know there's a lot of people here that their spouses are watching their kids and stuff. Whoever's watching, your kids, your dog, your cat, whatever, we should have some gratitude in our heart because without them, we would not be able to be here. So let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> um, how's everybody doing this morning? I talked to several people. They were... Some people were, were pretty pretty blended up yesterday and <laughs> came up and told me so. <laughs> uh, I hope that the whole purpose of this is not sadistic. We're not here to. That's not our intention. But that agitation that you guys feel really is the true message that that this weekend was designed to draw out of you. It's like it's like a bad tooth. You know, you go. You, nobody wants to go to the dentist. Nobody likes. Well, I mean, you might like your dentist, but nobody likes to go to your dentist because it hurts. But there's such a relief when you finally get that bad tooth pulled. And the, the abscess has been there for a while. All we did was poke at it a little bit. And now it's your opportunity to, take out, to fill in, put in your own filling. You know, And with the help of God, you can do that. Um, before we get started the, this morning, I thought we might just get quiet. Because I know there is some agitation. Everybody's kind of, I can sense there's an energy in the room. So why don't we just get quiet and we'll do a little meditation. And, and, uh, and then we'll uh, say a quick prayer and start this thing off for this opportunity to come together again as a spiritual body. and We ask, Father, that you help us to set aside everything we think we know is going to transpire here today and remove the fears of what we might see about ourselves. And we ask that you help us to have an open heart and an open mind for your guidance and direction to help us to make sense of this agitation that we feel inside and to help us to use it as a springboard to motivate us to continue on this path that we may become closer to you through experience, Father. And uh, we thank you for the grace in your name, amen. So uh,
1: <clears throat>
0: today we're going to talk about 1011. Uh, we're going to try to make some sense and put together the pieces of what we covered. All the exercises have been handed out. People, Some people ask some questions about, you know, uh, do I have to have this all done by tonight? <laughs> No. <laughs> the, I probably, yeah, I should have been telling you this yesterday. I thought I did tell you yesterday, but you know, lately I've been finding out what I think I say and what people hear are two different things. Um, those exercises are to be done at whatever speed you feel in your heart you need to do them. Some people are in a lot of pain. Well, if you're in a lot of pain you know, if your hair's on fire, I suggest you put it out pretty darn fast. If it's just a smolder, you can let it smolder a little longer if you don't mind the smell, you know. If you're just sitting too close to the heat source, you might like the feel of the warmth and you want to sit there for a little while, you know, enjoy the warmth a little bit more before you eventually get to the point where you get up and move. It depends on what level of uncomfortability you're in. You know, I would suggest that you don't put these down for, for too long, uh, I would finish them probably within a week for sure, you know, so that you don't lose the connection, so you don't pick up the sheet and go, well, now what were we doing? I don't really remember. Because if it means having to pick up the cassettes or the, the CDs or something, and then listen to six or seven CDs to find where it was on which CD, and then try to cover it, most of us don't have that kind of energy to get to it. And if we wait until you know we're in a real bind, and we go, oh, that's right, I got these great things, maybe, maybe this will be my silver bullet that'll solve my problem. It's too late you know continue with the process at your own speed um somebody was asking me last night i think it's a great suggestion if your sponsor isn't isn't here go home and say hey you know what i had this really neat experience this weekend would you be willing to do this with me you know share this stuff carry this message to others you know and share this experience that you've if you've had an experience i think most people here have had an experience this weekend um the big shift in consciousness has already occurred for most of us. Most of us, when we hit that third step exercise, there was a, I, could, I don't know if you felt it, but I felt a huge shift in the room. And that is your motivation from that point forward. Sit down and take a look at the four absolutes. I mean, how well do you want to get and how soon do you want to get well? That's really what we're talking about. It's personal judgment. The people that really need this... Their minds are probably so closed that they're not willing to do this, and they'll come back to this after they've crashed and burned. It's the people that are in the agitated state; and they know they've missed something, and it's they're sort of thinking about maybe it's time to go through inventory or whatever. Those are the ones who are really going to benefit from this this seminar. At least that's what my feeling was when we started, and I think that's still true today. Um, so uh, that's my 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 take on that. Uh, do you have any ideas about that? <coughs> <laughs> he's just looking at me. he's sitting over there,
1: sure, I have a lot of ideas about that. the
0: <laughs> <laughs> moric <Mark>, alcoholic all right <laughs>
1: good, um, good morning A couple of you were asking me uh, how Dave and I met, and I gave a short answer. He stalked me <clears throat> he uh true story yeah he uh I think he'd got a hold of some tapes or something, and he's pretty persistent uh. <laughs> Anyhow, we finally, we finally hooked up in Austin, Texas, I think, in 1998 and maintained contact with each other. And then we got asked to do the Fellowship of the Spirit in New York last year. And so we uh, thought it would be a good idea to rework the steps together and get to know each other better in swapping fifth steps. And uh, So uh, he flew in, and in our arrogance, because we're so spiritually fit, uh, we figured this would take a couple hours, and we'd go out and have a nice lunch and get on with our life. Well, nine and a half hours later... <laughs> uh we were still sitting in my house uh and it was uh and you know it was one of those fifth steps of laughing and crying and uh because Dave said something that's important you know you I've done a lot of work with the steps and so has he and so uh I, I saw the benefit of he and I being able to sit down based on our pretty much a mutual experience and how important that was uh Uh, we were both really stuck on some stuff that uh, we hadn't been able to get free of. And it took uh, sitting across from someone else with that kind of experience, if you will. And uh, so, you know, if you ever swap fifth steps uh, with someone, you know what happens is you have a relationship that's unlike anything you had before that. And and, uh, uh, I think off that experience, there's two fellowships in AA, you know, and and, uh, the one we experienced after that was the Fellowship of the Spirit. Dave and I are connected in a way and will be till, till we die, that uh, without that experience we'd have never been connected. And so uh, uh, since then, of course, we've just uh, maintained contact with each other. So that's, that's kind of how that came about between uh, uh, he and I. But, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about today for me is the heart and soul of the whole program. Uh, uh, the steps of 1 through 9 are designed to catapult you into the spiritual dimension of the 10th, 11th, and 12th step. Uh, way too much focus uh, spent on the first nine steps. All they are is a bridge. That's all they are. It's a course of action. First three step considerations. First step, am I powerless? Uh, do I have an unmanageable life? Uh, can I do this thing on my power? Can I not drink? Can I live life? Am I satisfied with my life? And the realization that, that no. So in the second step, you know, do I need power? That's really the bottom line of the second step. Do I need power? Come up with a concept of that power. That'll make some sense in, uh choosing that power is everything or nothing in my life. And uh, from that position, then you, you have a third-step decision, you know, where you convince your life running your will cannot and will not work. And my experience uh, is, quite frankly, for most of us, you really got to come face-to-face with that sober. You know, you... See, you, you'll, you'll sit and you'll go in and you'll look at your life when you're drinking. It's pretty easy to say when you're drinking that I'm, you know, I'm convinced my life running my will doesn't work. The, the time you really need to look at that is sober. Uh, how, how are you doing sober running your life on your will? And uh, if you meet that requirement, then, you, then the book really finally tells you what's wrong with you. And uh, tells us some things we don't necessarily like. Number one, that all my troubles are my own making. Uh, and that they arise from within myself, and that the root of my whole deal is selfishness. And at that time, you must see the connection between your selfishness and dying and alcoholic death. Uh, because if you don't, you won't do the rest of the work. See, at that point, the book has moved you completely away from the fact that alcohol is your problem. Matter of fact, they even tell you alcohol is but a symptom. Uh, Mark, that's not your problem. This is your problem right here. And they present you with an interesting concept, and that is that the very thing that has created your misery and suffering and will kill you from drinking, you can't do anything about. At that point in time you it says you had to find God. You had to have God in your life. And uh they presented us with a proposition, are you willing to quit playing God? And and we look at that and well, how do we play God? Well, I you know, I know how my parents were supposed to have been and how I was supposed to have been raised and how you're supposed to be, and you know, on and on and on and you begin to see maybe why life hasn't worked the way it is. And then you do that incredible third-step prayer. You know, you're offering all of yourself to God to build with you and do with you as God wants, not as you want. Uh, you know, it's kind of like for me, I guess for 36 years of my life, ran around in self-will and you hit that third step and it's like, God, I really appreciate it. But you know what? I'm, I'm resigning here. It's just, I'm done. It's and I'm glad you let me romp around for a little bit doing my deal. <laughs> Uh just hit all the walls I wanna hit. So uh from here on out, uh I'm your guy, okay? Uh that's kind of the way that, that goes. Uh it's so like I said, for me the third step today is very humorous. I, I'm gonna make a decision to turn my will life over to that which is my will in life. So it's it's kind of kinda of that thing. And then then you get to the nuts and bolts. I'm gonna face and be rid of that which has me blocked from God. I mean, Dave's made the comment about getting closer to God. Well, of course, closer to God is an illusion. Um, uh, you know we 're like fish in the ocean, swimming around asking where 's the water and and that 's the way it is with God. you see where isn 't God? so really, what happens in four through nine is I get rid of that which has me blocked from being aware of that which is always present within and without at all times, conscious contact, swimming in water, never not swimming in water, and that 's all four through nine do uh, you you enter the fourth step with a complete sense of separation. You're a fish in the water, asking where's the water. And these old timers tell you you're surrounded by it, and you go, yeah, it don't make no sense to me, you know. Uh, so that's the whole purpose of the inventory. You write a resentment, a fear, and a sex inventory, and uh, the purpose of those inventories is to see how your self-will operates, getting trying to get what it wants to make its arrangements. And uh, um, the book is very clear with you and I then why people don't stay sober. They don't, resentment is the number one offender. It's why we drink. Uh, every relapser I've ever worked with, we boil it down. We can find the drink behind a resentment and resentment. The spiritual disease behind resentment is I'm blocked from the power. And at certain times I have no effective mental defense. I, I don't have the luxury of being blocked. I must be aware that I'm swimming in water at all times. and resentment takes me out of that. So you're right. The resentment inventory. And then we talked yesterday about the key to your future. You begin to see in the, in, in that fourth column, uh, they're spiritually sick. I'm spiritually sick. Where am I at fault? And the book does a wonderful thing, which is, is it begins, you have to drop the word blame from your life and take, take responsibility for your life, if you will. And you write the fear inventory and you see the very fabric of your being is interwoven with fear. See, the, the greater my sense of separation from that which created me, the more I will be consumed with fear at all times. Fear, dis-ease of the ego. And uh, so you write the fear inventory and then you write the sex inventory sex inventory is again a manifestation of my sense of separateness if you will so you write those three inventories and you turn around and you do a fifth step fifth step what's the soul function fifth step you're trying to get pulled away from the ego and uh... you know a matter of fact the fifth step the big book says it's life and death I, again i think that's fairly important You know, <laughs> there's some interesting sentences in there and, and see that's another topic it tells you before the fifth step this is life and death uh, that's another, we don't talk about that sentence. What does a book mean? It says this fifth step is life and death. I, those are fairly significant words to work with. My experience is it's the death of the ego and the life of the spirit. That's what that's about. So, who I do fifth steps with is very, very important. If I go into a fifth step and you're concerned about how I feel, you'll kill me. See, if I'm concerned about how you feel, I'm useless to you. You understand what I just said? See, I'm useless to you. See? I've got to love you enough and get far past that. Uh, the ego is not split in half uh, by kindness. You know. So you do that fifth step and you get done. And the interesting thing, if you look at all the promises behind the fifth step, those promises manifest because you get, begin to get pulled back from the ego. You know, You get done reading this inventory, right? And there's some incredible stuff in there. It says you can be delighted. You can uh, look the world in the eye. You can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Your fears fall from you. Uh, You feel like you're walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. The drink problem has disappeared. And in the fifth step, the book is very clear. That's when you begin to have your spiritual experience and not before. And the reason it says that is is the extent to which you are still ego-bound, feeling separate from. You have no sense that there's a spirit that resides within, and that's who you really are. And in the fifth step, you finally have an awareness, which is why those incredible promises are there. Uh, It's like it does when you spend an hour in review after the fifth step. You thank God from the bottom of my heart that I know God better. How is it that I know God better? Because really the inventory for me shows me who I'm not. And I get to experience on an intuitive level who I am, which is why I know God better. The wave's a part of the ocean. The wave has all the properties of the ocean, but it can't be the ocean. Yet the wave knows it's a part of the ocean. That's a way for me to talk about what happens to me in a fifth step and you get done with that, and the sixth step is all you've done is made a list of the defects that your self will has used to operate in the universe to get what it thinks it needs to be okay. And the, and the horrible dilemma in that is, of course, is that doesn't work. And so the question of the sixth step is, well, here they are. Seventh step is, well, what do you want to do? You know, I uh we're the only kind of people we the sixth step, we ask a question, am I willing to let God take this? Yeah, only a drunk would ask that question, you
0: know, just,
1: let's see this is what's led to all my misery, suffering, you know, just you sh- i gotta th- let me think about this I mean, just uh, i mean we're I'm telling you we're it's kind of like bitter end or door one door spiritual living well can I think about that? you know, other people would catapult through the door, you know, but uh not us and then the, see, and then the seventh step,
0: this could, idea. could you explain the bitter end, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. You know, in the seventh step, you're offering all yourself to, to God, good or good and bad. And uh, that's that, call it the asset liability line. But basically, it's just take all of me. And Because uh, uh, at that point, that ties back into your third step. Uh, build with me. Do with me as you want. So take all of me. And you no longer concern yourself about your life. And then, of course, in the eighth and ninth step is where you're going to begin to, seventh step, you're going to connect to that power. Eight the ninth steps, where you begin to feel your sense of oneness with your fellow human beings. And uh, so you, go, you make your list and you begin to go out and you, you make amends. And uh, what happens, based on my experience, is there's literally states of consciousness through the steps. And as you get to the ninth step, then you're going to basically begin to experience life in a whole other way. You're going to have a sense of awareness of what I call there's a life beyond your life situation. Prior to me getting to the ninth step, I was consumed with my life situation, where I worked and my job, blah, 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 that's all I ever talked about, boom, and then something starts to happen to me, you know, and then at that point in time, of course, the book is going to begin to introduce us to the 10th and 11th step, and I'll, I'll let Dave start to talk first. The 10th and 11th step is new language. Yeah, It is not language of the intellect, it is not language of the mind, it is language of the spirit. You cannot practice the 10th and 11th step without having done some work in 1 through 9. It's absolutely impossible because what 10 and 11 ask you to do is literally it's a state of consciousness. It's things that will arise from within you that you cannot produce. Uh, And and I'll talk more about that. And so 10 and 11 are practices to let me be aware of the fact that I'm constantly surrounded by the water, i.e. the power, the power behind the name, Right. Uh, and and to stay in touch with that you know uh, incredible things so for years my first 10 years in AA when I wasn't making this a way of life 10 and 11 I realized now were words none of which I could practice I just couldn't practice them uh, because there was still too much self intact so with that uh, I'll let Dave go ahead and share some of his
0: experiences with uh, 10 and 11. How many people in here uh, <clears throat> believe in coincidences? I used to. <clears throat> had way too many things that I can't explain, you know, and, and it doesn't really matter whether you believe in them, don't believe in them, whether they've, you've, it's your experience. You know, Mark started talking about uh, the, how we met, and it, it's funny, I, I really did stalk the guy. Um, <clears throat> what happened was, uh, I, I uh, listened to some of Mark's tapes, and uh, he and Joe Hawk, and, and and I'm a tape junkie by trade, um, and it's uh it's helped me dramatically i really believe in there's a ministry in 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 the tapes and i belong to a tape of the month club and so i get a, a fresh tape cuz i travel a lot and no matter where if i'm going to go to work whether it's to the military or to the airlines it's an hour and a half in the car you know so there's a tape so i i literally in the front seat of my truck i have a case of tapes that and and when you get to become a tape junkie which i'm not advocating uh you hook up with other tape junkies. It's just like dealing, you know? And you start, <laughs> you start trading tapes, and it's like, oh, wow, hey, I, I got this great set. here. And you start loaning each other tapes, and then, you know, and it's a great source for resentments, you know, because who the hell did I loan that set of tapes to? They never give it back to me. I got to get that back, you know? And, um, uh, how did I get off on that tangent? <laughs> anyway, um, because I had a prayer meditation life, one morning I was in, in prayer, and it just came to me. You got to go find Mark Houston. I said, okay. And I thought about it for a little while and it came to me again and it came to me again and I, I've learned in my life that coincidences pay attention to that little inner voice. And uh, I had been doing some workshops so I started talking to the people that I that do the taping. I called Glenn, I called several other people and, and uh, said, I need to track down Mark and everybody said, well, we don't know where he is. He, he's disappeared. You know, he, Mark. If you know Mark, he just, he moves. He moves a lot. And... Uh, and it was at a stage in his life where things had happened in his life. And he, he explained it to me when I finally tracked him down. Is he went on a walkabout. He put all his things in storage. And God sent him to go be with his mom and, and do some things in his life. And, and uh, uh, he was out doing his deal And uh, when he resurfaced. And I, I gave up after that point. I, just, I put the word out and I let it go. And I'm talking probably a couple years later. Uh, somebody says, "Oh yeah, you're still looking for Mark? You know, I got a new email address for him. Here's his email address." So great, I fire off an email to him. Said, "Hey, and I'd like to like to meet you. You know, where are you?" And he said, "Well, here's my phone number. Give me a call sometime." And I'm in Austin, Texas. And the next day, I had a trip that was going to Austin, Texas. And I said, "Hey, how about coffee? You know, do you believe in coincidences? I don't. You know." <laughs> so he comes by and picks me up, and I'm looking in this car going you look a lot different than I thought. <laughs> you know? And we went out and had coffee, and, and, uh, and the rest is history. It was one of those things where you meet somebody and you know you're on the same path and you connect. There's just that, that connection. And uh, the same thing happened with um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chris Raymer. Uh, there's a number of people in here that know Chris. Um, same type of deal. I just got this thing that said, track Chris and I knew Mark knew Chris I called up Mark and said Mark I need a number for Chris he said oh here's his number got his number I called him up and said Chris I want to come see you and he says oh I'm I'm out in Kerrville mm-hmm Kerrville I said where the heck is Kerrville he says oh it's straight outside San Antonio." next day I had a trip to San Antonio. coincidence I don't know so I go to fly to San Antonio, rent a car drive out and hook up with Chris which was that was an experience We go to this little hole in the wall out in the middle of no place. This this used to be a road bar, I think, and there's a meeting in there. And you walk in and there's, I don't know, maybe 16, 20 people. And you walk in the room and it's one of, It's like walking in the Wilson house. There's an aura. And you walk in and you, you're home. And they start talking about the meeting and, they, and, it, and it's thumping. It's big book thumping. Only it's not big book thumping like they're trying to prove something. It's this is what we're doing in our lives and we're changing. And it, they're talking about God. And you're going... Whoa, this is so cool. We call them pockets of enthusiasm, you know? And so it became ever more apparent to me that wherever I go, you have to create that which you crave, create a pocket of enthusiasm. Um, everybody, at least that, that I know of, eventually you get on a little bit of a horse and you start, you know, talking to the old timers like they don't know what they're doing. That's not the deal. The deal is leading by example. This is what it's done for me in my life, and this is how I've changed and the people are like moth to a flame. They just come, and you create that which you crave. It's it's a wonderful spiritual experience. Listen to the little voice that's in your heart. If you've had a little voice go off in your heart this weekend that says, you know, I should probably start a women's group. There are no coincidences. But I don't know what to do. you got the big book. You've got spiritual experience. You've got a God that is all-powerful. Think about that. All-powerful, can do anything... You got tapes. You got access to any kind of tapes. I'll send you whatever you need. If you need paperwork for email, I got <laughs> reams and reams of stuff. There's the support you need. All you have to do is get beyond your fear, and listen. And if you're like me, you'll get those little nagging voices, and they don't go away. They just get worse. And if you think you're making them going worse, going away, you're just submarining them. They're going to come back and get you. Um, Twelve steps. Mark talked about how people focus too much on on 4 through 9. I think people focus too much on, and and, and listen to the whole statement before you judge it, I think people focus too much on 1 through 12. We think that steps 1 through 12 is doing the deal. It is not. We are broken. We're broken machinery. God gives us 1 to 12 to fix the machine. All that does, folks, is get you to the starting line so that God can fire the gun and say, bang, now the race starts. That's the deal, is going out and changing life for God and doing that deal. That's what this whole thing is about. Remember the question that I asked on the first step questions, why did God get you sober? And, nobody, and every, Most people write that, I don't know, I don't have a clue. Neither do I, but I know it's not to, so that I can selfishly do 1 through 12, 1 through 12, 1 through 12. And it's, part of that is so I can do 1 through 12 and go heal the damage that I've done in the past. But that is just scratching the surface there's so much more to that it's to go make a difference when you're dead in the ground nobody's going to care whether, how much money you made that you spent that extra time at work you know and you got that extra nobody cares the legacy is left in the lives that you've changed did you, did you make the world a better place you know that's what's really going to make a difference um, would you rein me in <laughs> I keep getting sure. off these tang- tangents uh, uh, Mark <laughs> alcoholic Uh
1: yeah, you know, these weekend things are, are a great time to to have some new experiences. I was, uh, we all really came up here this weekend. Uh, I think for Dan and Helen. Where Dan and Helen raise your hands.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh,
1: Dan's, uh, Dan's got about what? You got three months now. Yeah and he's been in and out and in and out and in and out and uh, God uh, really came alive in him yesterday and I, uh, another pal of mine Tom and I were out there talking Dan you know, you, you, I can always tell when God's just really zapping someone and Dan's eyes just deer in the headlights and he looks at Tom and I and he says I have to do a third step with you guys <laughs> you know and, and so Tom being the selfish drunk one to talk to me he said we'll be back in just a minute okay I gotta talk to Mark so we leave, you know, Dan's standing there in his eyes, and, you know, I mean, he's vibrating. And then, So Tom and I go talk, and we come back. So we come in here, and three of us sit down, and, and, and I do a little bit of the the review and the third step. And and then so we hook up hands, and we say the prayer, and Dan's saying this prayer, and he's got my hand, and he starts bawling. Of course, you know, he's from New York and top macho male, and, you know, he and he can't control this. And he, he, yesterday he was sitting there during the process, and he... He's crying, and his hand. You know, by the time we were done, I didn't know if I had any bones left. You know, he just, <laughs> and he's just sitting there crying, crying, and crying. You know, and so we get we get done with that third step, and you know, here's the three of us, three grown men, all kinds of crap going on. Here's Tom, and he and I, and the power of God was so strong in him. I'm telling you, we may as well just had a white tent over us. You know, and I thought to myself, well, I ain't going anywhere till this guy lets go of my hand. That's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so... He finally lets go of the hand, you know, and stuff. And, and this morning, I'm talking to Helen, who's been in and out and in and out, and she's out there this morning. And and God came alive in her, and she finally had her first step experience and realized that she, you know, God must be in her life, or she's never going to get the deal. But uh, that's what's so wonderful. But you know, for the rest of us, it really, what goes on is, you know, the impact of this weekend is what are you going to do when you leave here in your daily life, from the time you get up in the morning till you go home and uh, you know, with your family and at work and, and everything else. And that's really what the, all the steps are really designed to do. And the 10th and 11th step are the disciplines, if you will, that, uh, allow us to practice all of the, all of those kinds of things, not just an AA. There was a time in my life where my life was very fragmented, uh, had work here and AA here. And somewhere in the middle of this, it just all blends. And you, you begin to practice being present to the moment. And, uh, Really, when I think of 10 and 11 uh, and all the disciplines and practices, really what they're about is is ultimately demonstrating love. I went on a weekend retreat with a, a monk and a priest probably four years ago. It was funny because there was me and another drunk, and then there was uh, two nuns and five priests. So it was an interesting mix. And, uh <laughs> uh he gave us a spiritual exercise at the start of it and he asked that we remain silent and me and the other drunk were the only two that could practice science for two and a half days but here was the exercise he he asked us when was the last time we'd been to a funeral so we all shared that and he took one guy in particular and the funeral he had been to was a man who was about 40 and he was married and two kids successful business and so he made him describe the funeral you know a lot of people there and he's up there and and then he started asking questions he said uh was his wife in the casket with him? And I said, no. Were his children in there? No. Was all his money in there? No. you know." And, and at the end of it, here's what he made us sit with for two and a half days. He said, well, he said, here's my question. What did he leave behind that had value? He said, I want you to sit with that for two and a half days. So he sat with that for two and a half days. And, and uh, of course, obviously, I think what came to me was real simple is, is what he left behind were the lives that he touched because he demonstrated love. That's what he left behind. That's what we leave behind. Mm-hmm. So you do this work so that, in essence, you get to practice that. See, So 10-11, you get to 10-11, what starts to happen. I'll talk about uh, tenth step a new language, You know, this thought, the idea of I'm going to finish amends. Uh, Brings me to step ten, and, and begins to use some interesting words. It says, "I'm going to continue to take this personal inventory." It says, "I've entered the world of the spirit." Uh, uh, you, you could take that sentence alone and meditate, and say, "You know, God, what does that mean? What does it mean that I've entered the world of the spirit?" And my next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And, and, in terms of what? Well, I have an awakened spirit now, so I'm going to grow in understanding and effectiveness about going through life with this awakened spirit and, and allowing the spirit to influence and guide my life. And again, uh, I'm going I'm to say this, 10-11 is completely new language designed really to speak to the spirit. And then they begin to give you some tools to practice with. One of them is watch. Watch for what? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. You've heard Dave say this. You could take the word watch and work with that for six months to a year. One word. What are you doing? You're watching yourself. you follow me? And you're watching yourself for this selfishness, dishonesty as you go through the day. Ask God to remove it at once because you're watching. You're starting to be awake. You're realizing what really begins to happen in 10 to 11 as a result of the work and you get taken to this is you're, you're beginning to experience your life and watch your life situation. But you no longer are so involved in your life situation, if you you will. Ask is another spiritual practice of the 10th step. Ask, ask, God remove it. Turn is a spiritual practice. When your mind starts yapping at you, you know, uh, there's a a saying, you know, where uh, eagles gather where the mind goes. Turn, get that force, that force of self will, away from yourself. Uh, Turn to someone that you can help. Then you begin to get what I call the 10-step promises. There's four paragraphs in the 10-step in the big book. Most of the time, the only paragraph I ever hear talked about is the first one. I don't hear the other three talked about. And So here's the 10-step promises. Love and tolerance of others is a code. You all know what the word code means? It basically is it's a way to live. You can't practice love and tolerance of others as a code of life with self-will intact. It's absolutely impossible. You just can't do it. Uh, then the sentence says, I've ceased fighting anything or anybody, dash, even alcohol. Imagine being able to live that. Ceased fighting anything or anybody, dash, even alcohol, right? And then it talks about you've been placed in a position in reality. You recoil from alcohol as though it's from a hot flame. Because what you've been restored to sanity. Goes on to say that, and by the way, you didn't have anything to do with that. It was a miracle. It was a gift. It was just given to you, right? Uh, and it talks about is this your experience? It says the problem's been removed. Uh, I think uh, Rick introduced himself the other night in the meeting here as a recovered alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It's because the problem, one day at a time, has been removed. That's why he says I'm a recovered alcoholic. What was the problem? The spirituality of the big book talks about. Because the promise of the big book is when the spirituality is overcome, I straighten out mentally. Meaning the obsession, my mind taking me back to a drink has been removed. That's done one day at a time. And then the 10-step talks to you about, okay, now we've done all this. It's easy to rest on your laurels. My deal with laurels is what I did yesterday is what I did yesterday. I woke up this morning... And today is a whole new day. I can't rest on what I did yesterday, let alone a year ago. So I begin to do the things necessary on a daily basis to be in fit spiritual condition. And the book reminds me that I'm not cured of alcoholism. I'm given what? A daily reprieve based on fit spiritual condition. Here's the trap about the God issue. And that is that it's not God's responsibility to keep me in fit spiritual condition. It's my responsibility. There's a spiritual law at work. God won't do for me what I'm supposed to do for myself. I set my alarm clock. I get my feet on the floor, as Big Frank says. Uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, uh, disciplines. Disciplines, right? God will not do for me what I'm supposed My responsibility to stay in fit spiritual condition, not God's. Um, you don't. My experience over the years, the real things of 10 and 11 we don't hear much and i believe this is my experience drunks talk about what they're doing so i think there's reasons we're not talking a lot about 10 to 11 at great depth because i don't think it's being practiced you know you pretty much for me when i'm back and i'm not traveling or whatever 5 a.m is just the time i get up uh and i do that seven days a week and the first hour of my day is devoted to me spending time with that which created <clears throat> me and uh beginning with some prayer and beginning my current meditation practice two times a day for 24 minutes. Uh, I've been doing that for almost 12 years. Uh, Why do I do that? Because that's what my book says I'm supposed to do to maintain fit spiritual condition. And the book goes on a little further in and says, there's a prayer, how can I best serve thee? The vision of God's will. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. It says, these are thoughts which must go with me constantly. It says, I can practice my will along this line. Tenth step for me has become about what I call the line of the will, God's will, the line of the will. You do the work in one through nine, you die the death of self-will, and now all you are is a manifestation of God. The line of the will arises from within, and all during the day what you're doing is, is you're watching to see when you drift into self-will for brief periods of time. Call it flip-flop, call it what you will, but you begin to watch yourself. You get off track. Ask God at once to remove it back on track. Line of the will all day long. It's in the 10th step. It says God has all knowledge and all power. And, uh, uh, and then the 10th step says you have a new sixth sense. I'll, th- I'll throw out another topic for you to bring up in your meetings. If they ask this question, who has a topic? You Raise your hand say, I'd like you to share your experience with operating with your new sixth sense. Of course, they'll look they'll look at you like you're nuts. But... It's very real. It's fourth dimension. It's your spirit. You know, it's fabulous stuff. You know, I could talk for hours on end about this new sixth sense that was awakened in me. Uh, so there's there's the tenth step is an abyss of spiritual practices that you could do till the day till the day that you die. So
0: go ahead. Thanks. Um, I wanna read you two quotes. One's by Emmett Fox. It says, your destiny is really in your own hands because it's impossible to think one thing and produce another. That's what Mark was just talking about. What we hear in the meetings is what people are doing. What's even worse, what we don't hear very much in the meetings is what people are doing as well. It's the real, particularly with any time, if you've got more than a year or two under your belt, there's something that, that, that my sponsor taught me, and I'll teach it to you, and that is that you must... And there are no musts in AA, right? But here's a must for you. It'll save your life. You must learn to bleed on the tables, is what he called it. What does that mean? If you've got a problem in your life and you've got some time, your ego's attempt to kill you and get you back on the bar stool is to be not, is not share it. You've got this image to uphold. Hell, I've got a couple years of sobriety. I'm looking good. I've got a couple sponsees. No, what you have to do is go to the meeting and share it. Does that mean that AA becomes a dumping ground? It does not. You, you don't just walk in and dump your problem and say, I feel better, and walk out. AA is not therapy for a buck. You'll hear that in meetings. Well, AA is just great therapy. Just, it only costs you a dollar. It is not. AA has become a dumping ground, and it's not what it's about. What you'd owe you owe to the group as an old-timer, if you will, if there is such a thing, is to walk in, share your problem, and then come back to that group the next week. And say, you know what, guys, remember that problem I shared that I was devastated? Several of you gave me some great advice. And here's what I did with it I went and I did this step, I did this step, I prayed these prayers, I went and made these amends, and look what God did for me in my life. You want to change a meeting? Watch what that does. That is bleeding on the tables. I've tried keeping that stuff inside, and it nearly killed me. And I've seen it take out, I can't tell you how many people I've seen it take out, 5, 10, 12, 15 years of sobriety. Bang. And you start talking to them, and there's usually a theme. They start, stop going to meetings. Always they stop talking about what's really going on in their lives. And they started, the stuff they were sharing was not the truth. They knew they were living a lie and they just couldn't live up to it. You know, I've had people with a lot of time, I mean, 20 years, come to me and they'll, they'll whisper. They'll say, Can I talk to you for a minute? And I think maybe they want to make an amend to me or something. They've done something wrong. Would you be willing to? Take me through the steps. I've never been in through the steps before. And invariably, their butt's falling off. Their whole life is, is their, their wife's leaving them, their, their job is about to lay them off, they just lost their 401k and through some get-rich-quick scheme in the market, and now they're finally willing to take And they've, they've been carrying this stuff for months and, months and months and months and months and months, and they haven't been able to share it because they've got an image to uphold. Our mental contact conduct by hour by hour thinking produces specific conditions that may be thought of as the weather of our soul. There's a spiritual barometer. When you're out of whack, you need to get it in line with the will. Because remember the fog I talked about. Ten and eleven are the tools we use to start our day, to go through our day, and to end our day with a review. And if your spiritual barometer is out of whack and, and there's something going wrong, the fog comes up. You know, And I use the term, I my experience is what, what Mark says, that you can't get closer or further to God. I talked about that, about drink, drinking. Most people don't relate to it. And the reason I talk about getting closer to God is because that's what most people's concept is. It's really an awareness. The whole idea about, that when I say closer to God, I'm talking about becoming more aware of the presence of God that has always been there in your life. But a lot of people look at me and they go, I still don't quite get it. What do you mean awareness of God? If they've experienced it, they know a little bit, but they they can't duplicate it. All that awareness really is is getting into the moment. When you can get into the moment, you're aware of your surroundings and God will appear. That's how you get that awareness. And then life becomes like a walking meditation. As you're going through your day, if you start to feel agitated, your, your, your barometer starts getting out of whack. You can get back into that, that sense, that meditation. Believe it or not, I'm going to quote Bruce Lee <laughs> The past is an illusion. You must learn to live in the present and accept yourself for what you are now. When you lack flexibility and agility, you must make up with it with knowledge and constant practice. So here's what the alcoholics do Oh, I need knowledge. Knowledge, 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 help help book, give me another self-help book, give me another set we're looking for a spirit spiritual silver bullet that's a pill that we can take that's gonna get us this enlightenment. Why aren't we willing to do the work to get there? There is a price to be paid for conscious contact with a higher power. And that price is discipline. Alcoholics are defiant. We don't it goes against our nature. What does not, what the part of us, from my experience, that doesn't like that discipline is my ego. Because my ego knows that if I start doing this practice, my ego will die. It has to die for me to be in that conscious contact because it means I'm going to be in the present moment. That's where the struggle comes from. So everything about my alcoholism, my disease, does not want me to do prayer and meditation. Because my ego's sole function is to get me back on the bar stool. Because when I'm on the barstool, it's in complete control. It's got me. It owns me. It's driving me. At least that's the way I have conceptualized it in my head, and it that's a, it works for me. All right. <clears throat> Mark talked about responsibility. One hundred percent. For some reason, there's this underlying theme about responsibility. We don't want to take responsibility. Well, I grew up in an alcoholic household. So what? You know. Well, I was raped when I was five years old. Terrible thing. I'm really, that's brutal. But it, you're 25 years beyond that experience. You've got a spirit, kit of spiritual tools. You can survive. There's hundreds of people that have survived that. It's a terrible experience, but you can get beyond it. If it's still running, if that single event is still owning you, something's wrong. You're living back 25 years ago. What Your life is on the line. You have to get into the present moment. Well, how do you do that? 10, 11, 10, 11. I take the pages 84 to 88 because that's where 10 and 11 are. I turn every sentence into a prayer. That way, my prayer and meditation life is constantly new. It's constantly fresh. Mark talked about, uh, this thought brings us to st- step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to take new steps as we go along. I turn that into a prayer. God, please help me to do that. And I just repeat it. You know, We've entered the world of the Spirit. Here's a question to ask yourself is the world of the Spirit different than the world we've been living in? It is not. The problem is we haven't been paying attention to the world of the Spirit. All right? Later on, when we get to the... There's 12 questions we're supposed to end our day with. It's called the nightly review. One of those questions is basically, and I'll paraphrase it, is have you been trying to cram too much into the stream of life? You know, if you're walking around you're feeling like oh, I gotta get this and I get that. When you're in that state of mind, you cannot be consciously contacted to God. Right? Just because whose will is that? I I got I have to I got a clue yet? <laughs> but the second half of that sentence is extremely important for me. It opened it was an epiphany for me. The stream of life it wasn't a stream of life there is one stream of life and it is the world of the spirit i can i can exist in the stream of life and it can be completely oblivious to what's around me doing my own little deal my ego's running my life i'm being driven my life is falling apart and every once in a while i come up for air and i kind of go this hurts something's wrong you know and then i start swimming even harder you know, that that's a great story in the book about, that talks about the actor and how we try to re exert our will and try even harder. The whole idea is to let go. Well, for alcoholics, we have to be beaten down with the disease. Once we're beaten down, then we go to see God. Next thing you know, we realize we're in the stream of life. God's will is carrying us. All we have to do is wake up to that and look at the view. Sit on the leaf, go down the stream, and look around. You know, like a little ant riding on a leaf. And what can I do? You know, what does God want me to do? Next thing you know, that leaf, God sends that leaf into a little eddy over here, and you do a little job over there, and the next thing that leaf gets back into mainstream, and you go for a little while, and then it takes another tangent. If I have a plan, I'm going to be paddling like crazy, trying to get up, go against the stream, and it's not going to work. Does that analogy work for you guys? Yeah. So, until you can learn, so some, I, there was nobody to teach me how to pray and meditate. My first sponsor, he gave me a job because I was unemployable. You know, I'm 19 years old it'll be this time of the year, you know, six o'clock in the morning, he'd pick me up, we'd be driving, the sun would be coming up, the mist is coming off the river. Carl would crank the window down, it's 20 degrees outside, and he'd be waving. Carl, what the hell are you doing? Close the window. Waving to God. I didn't believe in God. I thought he was losing his marbles. So, he led me like a little kid, and he, that was my introduction to God. You know? Then I then Carl disappeared at... And then I got another sponsor. And, and over time, each sponsor gave me little p- bits and pieces. And I've, it's something... Your prayer and meditation life is an individual gift from God to you. And it's something that's constantly growing and changing. What I did five years ago will not work for me today. And let me tell you, Fellowship of the Spirit was a great learning experience for me. When Mark and I did that deal, after that week of sharing with you guys... He, said, he talked about how it affects you for a while. It affected me up until I came up here. My entire prayer meditation life shifted. I couldn't do what I was doing before Fellowship of Spirit versus after Fellowship of the Spirit. My prayers changed. My meditation changed. My, my daily routines changed. I used to get up in the morning and pray and meditate for an hour and then go do life. And all of a sudden, I couldn't sit there for an hour. I couldn't get quiet for an hour and do the prayer and meditation. It was not physically in me. So did I fight it? No, I went with it but all of a sudden I found I, when I was having a cup of coffee an hour later I would do 10 minutes of prayer and meditation and then when I get in the car road rage used to be a terrible problem for me and, and this Buddhist guy suggested that maybe when you, before you get in the car you say a prayer and when you get out you say a prayer so I, I would force myself before I hit the key to spend 15 seconds and meditate just get quiet and envision myself driving without getting angry without cutting people off in the slow lane my god driving in the slow lane alright takes 15 seconds. And when I get to where I'm going, to stop, I f- turn the car off and before I bolt out the door, you know, it always agitates me because I will be out the door and have the doors locked and my wife hasn't even undone her seatbelt. You know? That's just, my hair's on fire. That's my life. No, I need to slow down. I turn the key off and before I even take the key out of the ignition, spend 10 seconds. Thank you, God, for getting me here safely. S- music has become huge... I've got this the Prayer of Jabez on a CD, and it's all songs. Uh, I'm listening to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, if you can believe that. I'm singing hymns as I'm driving down the road. It's just different. I thought Mark was nuts. One time I heard him on tape, and he's talking about driving down the road and just getting so overwhelmed with the power of God that you just start to weep, and you can't drive anymore. And I'm driving down the road the other day, and tears, they're pouring out of my face. I'm in a military uniform, <laughs> and cars are pulling up. You know, now everybody looks at each other as you're driving down the highway. <laughs> what are you looking for? I don't know idea. <laughs> it, it, particularly guys, it really cracks me up. They think they're going to get a date or something. You know, <laughs> they're checking out the babes, like, oh hey, honey, like she's really going to pull over you know, and give you a number. <laughs> but I was okay, just tears running down, and people, you know, they're looking, and people are. When you're in uniform these days, people are beeping and waving and they're they're saying hello and there's kindness and compassion and they're looking at you and they see it's just joy. It's there's a difference between weeping and crying. You know, Mark talked about those guys saying the third step prayer. I guarantee when it started it was crying on his part. I guarantee by the time he finished it was a weep. It was just the joy and love of God that had come into his life. That's what ten eleven is for me on a daily basis. You get going down that path and it just envelops you, it becomes part of your life. There's certain key words that trigger me. Love and tolerance of others is my code. All right, that love is a key word. It tells me to go from page 84 back to page 83, where there's the nine-step prayer, the nine-step vision exercise that I gave you guys. That it says, "So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love." When I hit that word "love," it says, "Up, oh, don't go. For, don't forget the nine-step prayer." And then I think about my family. How am I going to be patient with my family today? And I go through each member. Patient, tolerant, kind, love. Short meditation takes 10, 15 seconds. I do the just for today at that point. What is the gift that I'm going to give to each one of the members of my family that's not going to get found out? Or what has my kids been asking me for that I've been blowing them off? I can't do that today. I'll do, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, Dad, would you, would you fix this toy it has been sitting in my pile of things to do that I haven't done for three months? You know, that kind of deal. That's the trigger I use. Then I go through, there's later in, the, in there, there's a thing that talks about, uh, sometimes we might want to memorize a few set prayers. That reminds that's a trigger I use to remind me to say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. You know, uh, There's another prayer that we need to get from page 164 that we're supposed to pray every day for the man who's still sick. How can I help the man who's still sick? At the very end on page 84, a Christian 88, there's a song line that says, there's, it takes action and more action. The word action reminds me, well, I've, if I've done 10-11, I'm doing my deal. What else have I forgotten? Oh, action. i got to help another alcoholic. That reminds me to add that in. You know, uh, There's a tremendous amount of information in yeah. this. There's a lifetime of practices in here. Start it. I guarantee there's one thing that's going to happen to you. When you start, it's going to change. Alcoholics don't like change. We resist the change. Go with it. Let God lead you. Don't get a mental conception of what it's going to be like. I'd like to read one more thing, and then, and then I guess we'll take a fifteen-minute break. You want yeah, and then we'll
1: come back. Uh, I'd like to hear from some of you on a little bit of uh, ten, eleven, some of your experiences. And I just got a few comments I'll make about the 11th step.
0: I want to want to read this to you, and it's it's about meditation. And this this I was doing pran meditation, and I knew the guy that wrote this, and it had, it. Had, It had a profound effect on me when I went, and and somebody emailed this to me, and it, 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 it touched my soul. It says, the love of silence will open up the capacity to hear in us. The highest level of prayer is not prayer for anything. It is a deep and profound silence in which we allow ourselves to be still and know Him, capital Him. In that silence, we are changed. We are calmed. It is worth great effort. Prayer and meditation will reconnect us to our source. We have th- thought our ego is the centre eternal power. In the silence we always remember that God is. Our egos have never given us anything but the illusion of power in our lives. We can be taken by God through these steps to an experience in which every minute of every moment can be spent in the presence of God, alive and aware of his love. God is within us to be realised, not outside of us to be stumbled upon. We get to make a choice, remain slaves to the ego. We're actualized children of God. Through the steps, we can awaken to the presence of God in all things, events, and activities. One who prays for the presence of God is already in the presence of God. So there is no need to pray for being in his presence. The person who seeks God has already found God. The steps allow us to change our appreciation for the presence of God in our dull, mundane life. We come to realize that we do not find God. God finally gets our attention. The spiritual life is a grace with which I must cooperate. In failing to respond to God everywhere God is around me, I risk losing the power of God that is in me. The truth is that I have, loved, I have been loved to life by God, and now I must love God back with my whole life or forever live in a living death. The steps make me aware of that which is always available to me. Holiness is in the here and now. Become a holy listener. We can get Almighty God Himself to sit down and talk with us whenever we want. Contemplation, meditation is beyond thoughts and words. We just simply are with God. God makes His home within us at the heart, the center of our being. Daily constant work with the steps in prayer and meditation will have you always at the edge of new mysteries, joys, and experiences of which you have never even dreamed. Our answer is always still more spiritual development. If we take the action, then God will give us grace and reveal himself to us. The big book says on page 45, the main objective of this book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problems. We don't have to worry about solving our problems. All we have to do is take the action to seek God. God will solve all of our problems. Take God seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. Do you know who wrote that? Mark Houston changed my life. Now you can understand why when God tells you Meditation to seek somebody out. You damn well better go find them. I can't tell you the changes in my life. My family's life. Everybody that I work with in AA, in work life, everywhere. My whole life has changed because of my experience of God speaking through other people. God spoke through him. And he changed my life. Hopefully I've spoken, God has spoken through me and I've been able to change your life a little bit. Don't miss this opportunity. It doesn't get any better than this. This is the real deal. You've got the tools. Go out and use the tools. Thanks.
1: Thank Let's take a break.
0: Thank you. And for us. Last session, we're, we guarantee we will be done by noon. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, over, on the break, I had several people come up and talk to me. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was, we we're going to do it at the end. Um, the, uh, several people have come up to, to come up to me and talk to me about agitation and fear and how they're stirred up. Here's the deal. You are carved in the palm of God's hand. He's got you. That is your safety net. It would be absolute cruelty for us to come up here and stir you up like this and show you truth and then just say, sorry, see ya. We have given you the tools. You've got the big book. But more importantly, your reliance, according to the big book, is not on anything human. Your reliance has to be on God if you're going to survive. So basically, all we did was fledge you. We just kicked you out of the nest. That little nest... You know, alcoholics are the only people that will fall into the pit and then want to decorate, you know? <laughs> you know, I always love to make the analogy. It's, it's like, it's like we're, we're sitting in a cesspool, you know, and it's nice and warm and cozy, and, and the water's right up to about here, and we're watching those big logs float by, and we just want somebody to stop making waves. That's all we want. <laughs> Well, the water's getting higher. The water's getting higher. So that's all we did was just turn on the water. It's time to get out. It's time to get better. You know? Um, there's a beautiful person that's sitting in this room with tears streaming down their face. And it wasn't me that I'm talking about. Um, and they came up to me at the break and they said, Would you please do what you talked about last night? Would you please do a love light meditation? So, what we're going to do is we're going to start out with a love light meditation can hand it over to Mark he's gonna make a few comments about 1011 and then it's your it's your workshop retreat till the uh, until it's time to go to lunch you know so uh, just as a real quick refresher you just get quiet you sit sit upright if you got a spare tire make sure you get it up out over the top of the belt <laughs> Speaking from experience all right. The key to imagine is imagine a bright light. If you have to, look at a light bulb for a second. Get that dot. Imagine the dot at your belly button. All right? And then I'll talk you through from there. Just pay attention to your breathing. And imagine the love inside you. It's getting bigger. And it's going towards your head and down your legs. Until it wraps your entire body with love. And you feel it hit the walls as it fills the room. And then it reflects off of everyone in the room back to you. And then imagine in your mind's eye your hand, and you send the love from your fingertips out to those you love and you care about, to those you hate. Send the love back to God, and He sends it back to you. Should be able to feel the presence of God. I do that several times a day if I'm agitated, doubtful, indecisive. If I hate, if I'm angry, especially if I'm feeling hurt, if the traitor's in my life, I have to send the love because I have to unlock my heart before I can go to the other person and unlock their heart. Remember, you hold both keys. That's the deal. Let me turn it over to Mark. Uh, Mark, alcoholic.
1: Some things uh, I wanted to mention. Um, the experience of the experience is more important than the explanation. So when you leave here, I will encourage you not to speak about your experience. I'd encourage you to sit with it um, and, and make your prayer a prayer of, uh, God, uh, what would you have me do with what came to me? Over this weekend, and let that come from within you, um, but don't talk about it until you have a sense it's okay to talk about it. Uh, a lot of what happened here, Dave talked about we're a spiritual body, so a lot of what happened here uh, is not of your conscious mind, if you will, so um, consider that and don't don't talk about it. your ego will want to talk about it, I can assure you uh, but um my experience is you're better served if you don't Uh, you'll know when it's okay to talk about it but there's each and every single person here uh, there is something uh, a course of action that I believe God will have for every one of you uh, and let it arise from within you and point some of you it's going to be a some of you it's going to be reworking one through nine some of you it's going to be really doing some work with 10 and 11 some of you it's going to be being more present to your family uh, you don't get to make that call. Let it arise from within you, if if you will. So that's one thing. Uh, second thing, I talked earlier about that internal self-dialogue, self-loathing. There's a great book, uh, if you struggle with that, called The Spirituality of Imperfection. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, the gentleman wrote the book, uh, Not God. You familiar with him? Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Uh yeah, uh, I had the uh, good fortune of having dinner with him in Detroit last year. Uh and he wrote The Spirituality of Imperfection and uh it really speaks to the alcoholic to to uh, you know we're very broken when we come in here and uh uh but it's a fabulous book. Uh, it was very helpful to me um, in uh, stopping that internal uh self-talk so it's called the spirituality of imperfection uh fabulous book he's a he's a fascinating man this is a man who's made a life study of drunks he's not a drunk uh it's just fascinating to talk to him he's kind of short and kind of kind of roundish and uh, laughs all the time and I, he he thinks we're just incredible uh he he loves being around drunks uh so uh and he's been studying us for a long long time uh, started out he got moved to write a, a, It was, a, I think it was a PhD paper and I can't remember what it was on And so that's how the book Not God came into being and then this as he kept working with us and working with us and, and stuff uh, that's how the spirituality of imperfection so I think he's just another tool that God has given us to uh, to draw on um, uh, the third comment has to do with I think uh, the disciplines of 10 to 11 I, there's a some of you, of course, uh, know uh, uh, Joe Hawk. Uh, Joe now, his five-year sabbatical in India is over, and he's in California, and uh, gave me a call about a week ago and uh, um, said he'd like to come to work with me, which any of you know Joe, eh, work is not in his vocabulary. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I was a little stunned. and. Uh, to make a long story short he, he is he's going to become moving to texas and uh coming to work with me at the uh, treatment center um so uh, and then he and i, I think uh have been asked to do the fellowship of new york uh spirit of the fellowship and uh um then i think in december uh tom n is here tom where's tom at raise your hand yeah there's going to be another uh, retreat at a monastery um that we're going to do and i you know i asked the question yesterday of how many of you be interested in the whole weekend in the fourth and fifth step and uh that's what keeps coming up to me to to do uh entire weekend uh on that so i'll talk with joe and we'll see where we'll see where that piece goes but back to the monastery this when joe went to california he basically started a group to create the fellowship he craved and uh pretty radical group uh to say the least, um, but uh, they do uh, two retreats a year at a monastery in Santa Barbara called Mount Calvary. It's just incredible at night when you're standing up there. You literally can see the, almost the entire California coast. And So at any rate, uh, I remember last year I, I went out there to, to do one. And and what's so funny is most of the members of this group been going to this monastery two times a year for like eight years. And so the whole weekend was devoted to nothing but the 10th and 11th step. And, and, and I, I told him at the very beginning, I said, the answers about ten and eleven you have been receiving for eight years. And obviously none of you are awake to that. And, and I didn't tell him what that was till the end. And, and basically what happens is in a monastery, how many of you are ever spending time in a monastery? Some of you can. You notice they do everything at the same time. They never, they never deviate, and uh, I tell you why they do that. Uh, uh, I spent some time uh, w- working with uh, some of uh, the Rule of Saint Benedict, and Benedict was a saint and, and uh, who died, and and really is responsible for a lot of Western monasticism. And what he realized is that the human being was so full of defects that <laughs> that without some kind of imposed discipline, uh, that human being could never come to know God. So when he set up the monasteries, he set up doing things at the same times. Uh, You get up at this time and you pray and meditate. At this time you eat, at this time you work, at this time you study. And he did that so that uh, what happened over a period of time as a result of doing that, when human nature, being what it is, or sloth comes up, you are. It is such a habit. The discipline is such a habit that you're going to do it, even if you don't want to do it. And uh, that's what I told the uh, the drunks up at that monastery. I said, you know, you've had this in front of you all the time. And so what you have to do is go back into your home and duplicate that in your home. And I told you, I get my deals five a.m. I just uh, I like getting up in the morning. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a night person. And as I begin to do that, that has stood me in good stead, because in times in which I've gone, my life situation, for example, um, has uh, changed, and and it impacts you, Uh, in spite of what's going on, those disciplines stay intact for me. I still get up at the same time, I do the prayers, I do the meditations, uh, I work with the tools throughout the day, do an evening review, do an evening meditation, so uh, I would encourage you to, to, to do that. You know, it's like I tell people, well, what's the most important relationship in your life? And they go, well, God. And I said, well, then how much time are you giving God? You know, you, uh, if, if you gave your wife or your children, if you have them, if, if you gave them the amount of time you gave God, what kind of relationship would you have with them? Well, not a very good one. So it's like, okay. See, if you want to know what you believe in, look at your actions. In my first 10 years, my actions told me that the relationship with God was not very important to me. And from that point on to this point, my actions tell me that the relationship to God is very, very important to me. See, because here's what my truth is. I, When I was about 15 years sober, I was giving a talk. And what I shared from the podium was that uh, there's times where I'm scared to go into a grocery store. Someone might say hi or something. I And... Uh, So this this guy that long time sober was sitting out there, and he was sitting next to some young whippersnapper with about two years, and the guy turns to the guy 30 years sober and says, boy, I hope when I'm 15 years sober, I have a better program than that guy, and the guy of the 30 years turns to him, he looks him dead in the eye, and he said, let me tell you something. He said, that guy probably truly understands why, how much he needs God. He's so terrified of life, he can't even go into a grocery store, for God's sakes. So, see, that that's my truth, you know. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that, I don't know why, I, I just quite often, I wasn't equipped <laughs> to do life here unless I am so centered in God. And... uh uh, life terrifies me. It, it just and when I get centered in God, then I can do. Then I can do this thing called life. And I think that's true of every drunk I've ever met. You know, uh, Carl Jung talked about that. Of um, in his experience of working with us, his sense is that we had a deep and abiding spiritual thirst which we must answer. And if we don't, we'll go drink. And in my personal experience is there's only two things that ever quench my thirst. One is a lot of God, and the other was a lot of whiskey. Um, uh, but, you know, I certainly have tried many other things in between all of which were short lived. So, um, you know, I do what I do cause I like the effect produced by it. Uh, you know, uh, the love of God that, that has shown up, uh, that I, that I get to experience is beyond, beyond anything I could imagine. Uh, and I, I would wish all of you to, you know, to have, to have that experience to, uh, Uh, To know that all is well regardless. Uh, To know that you're always in the water. To know that you're loved. Uh, To understand that so much of all this is a mystery. And to stop figuring that out. And uh, to get real, real involved in your dull, mundane life. The holiness of your dull, mundane life. Uh, One of the exercises I give people around the 11th step is find God in the pots and pans. Of course, they go, what? Yeah, find God in the pots and pans. And really it's back to what Dave said is I'm trying to get him to understand that holiness is in the moment. Uh, holiness is, is in the moment. It doesn't matter what the life situation is. It doesn't matter what you're doing. See, the ego is concerned with doing, right? Do, got to go here, got to go. Um, there's a life beyond the life situation, and spiritual living is about understanding that. What isn't holy? What isn't sacred? I, I had a person say, you go to church, and my response is, when am I not in church? When am I not in the presence of God? Uh, are you asking me if I go on Sundays to, to some religious practice? Yes, I do that on occasion. But, uh, when, when am I not in church? You know, what isn't of, what isn't of God? And you begin to awaken to that. And it causes such a huge shift in your life. You know, you, uh, you develop a sensitiveness to life. You know, this has been a, a fabulous weekend for me. You know, you're, um, the spiritual thirst and hunger in, in all of you is just phenomenal. And, uh, uh, God, as I've come to experience God, I'm sure is very, very well pleased. Uh, you know, uh, you have, uh, I have felt well loved here. I mean, what a, what a, what a, what a deal we get to experience. You know, we're babbling, tongue chewing drunks, as, as Chuck C used to say. And, and you know, we get to show up and do this kind of thing. We get to get to experience love for each other and go through life sober and and uh, uh, you know, so many changes and begin to be an agent and to to change you know you the power of one uh, uh is phenomenal see if one of you gets this your household will change and your block will change and your town will change and you see how it works because there's nothing but oneness so uh you know gosh what a you know what a what a deal so uh guys you know that's really all i uh that's really all i i have i want you all to know that uh I love you all very much, and I I thank you so much for having me here. Thanks.
0: Why do we do this? Why do we come? There's a couple analogies that that really made a difference to me. One of them is sitting right over in that fireplace. When you take a log and you roll it out of the fire, what happens to it? It's, on, it's burning, it's glowing, but over time, it slowly starts to die. But you take that log and you put it back in the fire, it almost immediately comes back to life. Same thing happens. You take a log that's not burning at all, and you put it near the fire, and magically, over time, it just radiates out, and it'll catch on fire. All right? The other analogy that I like to look at is us as rocks. We're the logs, and the reason we come up here is to get close. We're to get back in the fire, so we get us rekindled. But I like to think of when I leave one of these places that I'm like a rock. You know, you take a rock and you put it out in the sunlight of the spirit, and then what happens? The rock gets hot, and anybody that's lived in the desert climate realizes that what you absorb that sunlight, it, it gets hot during the day, and then it'll radiate heat all night long. You know, we're the same way. We get around each other. We go through the steps. The sunlight of the Spirit comes into our life and it charges us up when we're hot. We go out and we help start carrying the message. If we don't recharge our rock and get back into the sunlight of the Spirit, over time, the heat's coming off. Every time we're working with a sponsor, they're sucking a little bit of heat off. Excuse me, a sponsee. They're sucking a little heat off of us. we got to keep going back into the light to get recharged, get refilled back up. Don't let your rock sit out in the cold too long. Get it back into the sunlight of the spirit, and it's an endless source. All you need to do is get in the sunlight; it'll get you back. You know, we hear in AA all the time one, what I consider one to be one of the biggest lies floating around Alcoholics Anonymous: we just don't drink one day at a time. That's not what the book says. On uh, on page sixteen, second paragraph, it say it says that we have to live spiritually. We have to have faith 24 hours a day in us and through us or else we perish, we die. That's what this program really says. Big difference of just not picking up a drink. Just not drinking is not good enough for us. We have to have faith. Which means in order to have faith we have to demonstrate the faith in us and through us to others. That's why I do these weekends. If one person changes their life it's worth all the money and all the time and all the stress of coming up and doing one of these deals, because it wasn't really me that did it; it was God. I was just listening to that little inner voice, you know. Twelve and twelve. I want to read two two quotes, and then we're going to turn the meeting over to you, and it's yours. Um, we go what? Flip it? Yeah, flip it if you want.